The following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to episode 122 of Yeah, It's That Good. This is a show that looks at supposedly good movies and asks the question, is it really that good? And what that boils down to is that we look at movies that are fresh on Rotten Tomatoes and we reevaluate that score. Tonight's movie is 1996's The English Patient, directed by Anthony Mingala, starring Ray Fiennes, Juliette Binoche, Willem Dafoe, and Kristen Scott Thomas. The English Patient is a 1996 romantic drama film. This movie has an 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. How about a plot synopsis? Beginning in the 1930s, the English patient tells the story of Count Almasy, who is a Hungarian map maker employed by the Royal Geographical Society to chart the vast expanses of the Sahara Desert, along with several other prominent explorers. As World War II unfolds, Almasy enters into a world of love, betrayal, and politics that is later revealed in a series of flashbacks while Almasy is on his deathbed after being horribly burned in a plane crash. That wasn't the movie I saw. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, uh, Tonight's movie was sponsored by D. D writes in and says, Hi guys, thanks for the great show. I can't remember how I discovered it, but it kept me entertained during many a late night formatting PowerPoint presentations for the umpteenth time, knowing full well that it will never see the light of day. Yes, I am a consultant. I struggled mightily with my selection, given that there were so many bad movies to choose from, but finally settled on a yeah, it's that good choice. I was bored one evening and browsed Netflix for something to watch when I came across The English Patient. Great, I thought to myself, and I Oscar winner, two and a half hours later, and a call to the suicide hotline. I came to the conclusion that this is the worst, best movie ever. After watching the movie, I read various reviews and realized that it is quite polarizing. There was even a Seinfeld episode where Elaine couldn't believe anybody liked it. It has many yes-at bad staples, including a double cross, as in actual treason, multiple flashbacks, what was Willem Dafoe even doing in this movie, and cheesy lines. Also, being a romantic drama, it will make a nice change from the usual thriller, romantic comedy, or action movie you guys usually review. It did teach me one valuable lesson, that it's okay to betray your allies to Nazis, possibly causing thousands of deaths, as long as it is to recover the body of your lover. Looking forward to your review, D. Wow, this sponsor is dead on. He is spot on. He's wise beyond his years. Okay, Martin, the English patient. What is your history with trying to record a podcast about the English patient? Man, we watched this movie... And I had no idea what I had seen. It was an arduing task. Did I hate it? Did I love it? You'll find out. Tune in. Find out. But we we tried to record and we just couldn't do it. Well, I had to watch this movie twice because my dear friend Martin here, you couldn't see it the first time around. Right. I couldn't find it. You couldn't get <laughs> Academy Award winner. You couldn't get your hands on this movie. So he had to come over and watch my copy, which meant I had to sit through this movie twice, which gives me a very unique perspective on the English page. Were you were you watching it the second time? <laughs> what was I doing the second time? You were like watching like the Star Trek edited YouTube clips. YouTube and- clips. <laughs> okay, let's see what we have to do at the top of the show. We'll discuss the actors one by one and we'll see how you thought they did. First up, Ray Fiennes. Voldemort himself. He's a phenomenal actor. He was channeling Voldemort in this movie. This is this, this is, is the proto, test. This yeah. is prototype Voldemort, right? Oh, it really was. Beta testing. <laughs> I wish he was Voldemort in this movie. I can make an argument that he was a worse human being than Voldemort was in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's just a worse person. Yeah, his character sucked. I hated him. He was okay. He's, I mean, great, he's not... We can't discount this guy. He's a good actor. He's, There's no question about it. He's a great 
great actor. I, I remember reading that it took them five hours to apply this makeup to him every time he had to shoot a scene. Yeah, we'll get to that makeup real quick. <laughs> but he did great, right? Uh, yeah, his I, acting was fine. I don't have much a complaint for the acting in this movie. I think this movie is filled with very competent people, but the things that they're saying and doing is very incompetent, I think. It's the, is, is, it's, that say, is that fair? It's the writing. Yeah, the writing is not good for this movie. No, it's it, but the, the acting in and of itself is very good. Yeah, they're doing the best they can. I mean, Willem Dafoe making his triumphant return. This is not his what, third movie on the show? <sighs> I mean, he wasn't cross-dressing like, in this or... Uh, I feel like Willem Dafoe always gets things on his body cut off or mashed up in some way, shape, or form. And, and this this movie didn't disappoint me. I got to see him get his uh, get his thumbsies taken off. Um, he was good in this movie. I'm going to say that he was like almost... I don't think that his acting was to blame. I think that his range... Like, because Willem Dafoe's a great actor, but he's no... He's a wrong choice for this character. Should have been Danny DeVito. I'll say this about Willem Dafoe. He's a phenomenal actor, but his range isn't as broad as other actors. He's no Gary Oldman. You can't put him in a movie and he, he, he can chameleon into whatever he is. He, but he can be the best Willem Dafoe. He can be. He can be. Yeah, no one else can be him. That's I'll give you that. And and for like the, the two female leads, Juliette Binoche and Kristen Scott Thomas, they were good too. They were. All right, let's get into the brief history of The English Patient. In his book, The Conversations, Walter Murch and the Art of Editing Film, the writer of the book records his conversation with the film's editor and sound designer, Walter Murch, who won two Academy Awards for the film. Murch describes the complexity of editing a film with multiple flashbacks and time frames. He edited and re-edited numerous times and notes, the final film features over 40 time transitions. <laughs> wow. The film was shot on location in Tunisia and Italy. When 20th Century Fox was involved in the film, they tried to talk the producers out of casting Willem Dafoe and suggested three choices for the role of Caravaggio. John Goodman, Danny DeVito, or Richard Dreyfuss. Bruce Willis was offered the role of Caravaggio, <laughs> but was talked out of the role by his agent. Wow, can you imagine? He might have won an Oscar. I know. No, well, well, it says he was talked out by his then agent. Oh, I, I guess After that. this, it was like, you're out, bro. He later admitted in interviews to regretting this decision. I bet he did. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I wonder what he did instead in that year, in 96? Okay. The kid? Or yeah. something, you know, some piece of crap? <laughs> Sean Connery was actively considering playing the part of Caravaggio before he backed out of the production. Wow, it would have been like a, another beta test for the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, right? None of these <laughs> actors are, in my opinion, equipped to play this part. No, they don't match this character at all. Which leads me to like question what what was the casting director's... Easy, big names will fill the seats. The end. Yeah, but Caravaggio just has a character that it doesn't even make sense. None of, like, all of these actors are lead actors. That yeah. they're that they're looking to fill the part of this, like, ancillary character. Yeah, okay. That it's, makes it's, sense. It's bizarre. The film received widespread critical acclaim and was a major award winner as well as a box office success. The English Patient was nominated for 12 awards and ultimately walked away with nine. Its presence at the Oscars was so large that upon winning Best Original Score for Evita, Andrew Lloyd Webber joked, thank goodness there wasn't a song in The English Patient. <laughs> That's pretty good. S -s Snarky. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> the English Patient is one of only three Best Picture winners, Amadeus and The Hurt Locker being the other two, to never enter the weekend box office top five since top ten rankings were first recorded in 1982. It is also the highest grossing non-IMAX film and second highest grossing film overall to never reach the weekend box office top five. Okay, this movie had a budget of $31 million and it walked off with a cool $78 million. Okay, Martin, the English patient. So this movie starts off with a beautiful opening shot of an airplane going over the desert and immediately, immediately, I thought to myself, wow, this is a beautifully shot film. This looks really well directed. I don't know if my heartstrings can take so much tugging. <laughs> is this a real tearjerker that I'm going to walk away from questioning my position in the world? Yeah, we, we bust out the Kleenex. We were ready to, to hold ourselves and hold each other. Yeah, yeah. Whimper like little, little boys all night long while we watch the movie. That unfortunately was not what happened, but I, I, I'm going to agree with you. The, this film is beautiful looking. What's really cool about a lot of these shots is they take these things in their environment in the desert that repeat on a large and small scale and they make them abstract. So you can't tell if you're really close to something or really yeah. far away. They do a lot of really beautiful shots playing with scale. This film is beautifully shot and the director... You know, the, the director is related to someone we know really, really well in this show. I mispronounce his name all the time and I've been corrected on how to pronounce his name correctly, but I, I never remember. So I'm just going to mispronounce it anyway. You know who I'm talking about. Our director, Anthony Mingala, he gave birth to a little actor we know and love. Max Mingala? Oh yeah. I prefer Max Mingala after <laughs> <laughs> <Every> this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Art School Confidential style. Yeah. Okay, so I feel like I was tempted with a filet mignon and someone served up a turd sandwich. Oh, yeah. This movie does the old bait, bait and switch. switch. Switcheroonie on you. It starts off with these beautiful shots of Ray Fiennes flying his airplane around and it gets gunned down in the desert. And this looks fantastic. There's a shot where you see the, the dunes and the way his plane enters the shot and he's first introduced into the film, it is just beautiful. It is a beautiful masterfully done shot. It really sets you up into thinking that this is going to be a wonderful film. Do we get that? Time will tell. Tune in. Find out. It's so bizarre because this scene, I guess it's supposed to set up the main event that really sets us in, into how the story is going to be told. And I almost would have preferred if they just started with Ray Fines in a hospital bed rather than this herky-jerky back and forth between people in World War II vehicles blowing up and then people in different medical tense. It's confusing and jarring. Yeah, so we like to talk about flashbacks all the time on this show. It's one of those elements that reappears in movies over and over and over again, like as a plot device. And in and of itself, it is a useful plot device to tell what happened in the past. But this movie is almost entirely flashbacks, complete flashbacks. It jumps back and forth. There's like this framing story that takes place in the present with Ray Fiennes in World War II. What do you think of the way this movie was structured? It was convoluted and confusing. Completely unnecessary. It really was because what happens in the present is is worthless, totally worthless to the past. In the opening shot of the movie, Ray finds his plane is shot down. And when we see him again, he looks like a shriveled up beef jerky man. Just, yeah, he, he looks like a hot dog that was like left on a barbecue for like six hours. Yeah, he's shriveled up, 17 degree burns all over his body. He, he's a mess. So you can make the argument that these flashbacks help to underscore the tragedy of his life and blah, 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 blah. I'd rather have those questions in my head, but latch onto the story story right off the bat. So I'm like, okay, this is these characters. Build those characters up first so that when I go back, I feel like I've learned a little bit more and I understand
understand another dimension of who these people are. This is a, a, a difficult movie to talk about because it's a two and a half hour movie or more. It feels like it's six hours Two long. hours, 45 minutes? Yeah, this movie is super, super long. And in that time frame, Martin, do you think we ever get to learn anything about these people? I don't know anything about them. I just know the actual events that they're in, but the events aren't explained properly. So you don't really understand anyone's motivation and to, un, until the very end. But do I care at that point? At the two and a half hour mark when final things are answered? No. Like, like you you want me to be invested in their storylines. I have no reason to care. None of these characters are likable. None of them. They're not charismatic. They're not interesting. They're not likable at the, all. The, arguably, the protagonist is flat out a terrible human being. And I think we've said this in the show before, like, you know, we don't need to have good guys be the heroes all the time. They should at least be interesting. If you want the main character to be a bad guy, he should be interesting and captivating to watch. This guy was dull and lifeless and flaccid. The guy who Ray Fiennes is playing. I hated him. I just didn't care about him at all. I had a difficult time identifying with him. Like, even if there is a bad, like a bad guy as like the main character, he'll have certain aspects to his personality that are interesting and that I can at least be like, yeah, I felt like that. Yeah, I've done stuff like that or I could see why he's doing that. Like, look at Goodfellas or any of those mobster movies. Like, they're, they're, they're all bad guys. Right, but there's something romantic about what they're doing. Like, it's interesting and exciting and they're, fun. Yes, they're captivating characters. This movie has none of that USA. at all. Characters, characters welcome. welcome. So it's, it's really hard to latch on to this movie. And so much stuff goes on in this movie. It's just plot points. They go here. They go there. They look at this. They go there. They see this. They do that. We never do any character building. We never learn about any of these people. It's just they come and they go. They talk to each other. They say really boring things and they leave. That's it. Nothing of note happens. Literally nothing happens in the first hour. Is that fair to say? I agree with you completely on there being absolutely nothing captivating said between these characters. But I'm sure that there's people out there listening to this podcast that are thinking, yeah, but you were just two two, two uncultured guys that are trying to watch a romance story and you want explosions and you want guns. Yeah. (laughs) That's not what's happening here. No, no, not at all. I came into this movie wanting to have a romantic experience and being like swept away. That's what I wanted. That's what I was expecting. And that's that's what I needed at this point in my life. You're like, I had a pint of Ben and Jerry's and I was just ready. (laughs) Box of bonbons, ready to go. Yeah, you know, Martin, you need to put down the Nintendo controller, pick up those Wizard of Oz books. You're, you're <laughs> right. I'm just an uncultured swine. I don't really know this this part of World War II history either. So I don't, this isn't like a very American part of World oh, War II. Oh, I love, I'm always, always happy to see World War II presented from another side. Right. Because we, we only grow, growing up, this... we only see the American side, usually in the movies that America makes. Right. You only get this one perspective of this war that the majority of the free world world was involved in. That's why I really liked Enemy at the Gates. Right. That was the first movie that I, I ever considered this notion. It's like, oh, wow, this is a World War II movie and there are no Americans in it at right. all? Right. It's from the Russians' perspective. I, I really got a kick out of that. Not only- That's a movie we should be watching with oh, Ray, Ray Fine's brother in it. Look, that kind of stuff is interesting and they did nothing with it. Nothing. It, it, <laughs> it could have got me at least interested. So a lot of jumping back and forth goes on between- Past, the it, present. The, the, the past and the present and it's done via location. They're either in the desert. Or they're in Italy in or, the future. Or they're in the, the, or they're in Italy in like, not the distant future, maybe the, like a few years later. Yeah. I'm sorry. There was some kind of side storyline going on in Italy that involved demolition, mine. <laughs> demolition man. Yeah, it involved demolition man. It's like this World War II story where a nurse is taking care of Ray Fine's shriveled up body. 
And this goes on and on and on and on. There is no reason at all for this story to exist. No one cares about them at all. I certainly didn't. Could this movie have been told chronologically in a much more effective manner? Yes, it would have been. This isn't like a Pulp Fiction situation where the fact that it's chopped up makes it an interesting story. In this movie, it doesn't matter. Who cares? It isn't interesting at all. Not captivating at all. You know, in Pulp Fiction and other movies like that, you chop up those storylines because it it takes the the viewer from out of that frame line where it's like, oh, I I know what's going to happen next, or this is so predictable, or whatever the case may be. And it poses questions that the viewer wants to have answered, and they eventually do get answered. This movie poses questions that no one cares about. That that no one ever asked. (laughs) Questions that no one asked. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so essentially what happens is Ray finds the English patient, starts to retell his tale to this nurse. I I guess what happens is he has like a diary or something. I mean, he's a weak, weak man if he has a diary. And it spills open and they start going through the process of him falling in love with this other man's wife when they're out there, you know, trying to draw maps of the northern, I guess, African desert for the soldiers in World War II. Yeah, it's Colin Firth and uh, his wife. And Ray to toast. Thank you. Yeah, the the king's speech himself. Ray Fiennes falls in love with his wife and the movie is basically telling the tale of adultery of how he falls in love. And that in and of itself could lead to some very interesting drama and uh, heartache and emotions. None in this movie at all. None. They had no chemistry together. Not only that, these characters seem to not have consciences. They they, they don't have guilt. They didn't give a damn it's about like, Colin it's Firth. Like, it's like bizarre. I don't, I couldn't identify with that because that, that's a great conflict to be like, oh, what I'm feeling is wrong, but I can't deny that I feel it. That wasn't even brought up. <laughs> it wasn't even addressed. <laughs> I don't have a problem watching an adulterous love affair story. That's fine because you can do a full range of human emotions, betrayal and hate and lust and all Jealousy that stuff. Jealousy. Yeah, all that I stuff. Mean, good stuff. I mean, Colin Firth's character, he at least had a little bit of like anger and betrayal and hurt. So from that side, they had it covered a little he, bit. A little. He committed suicide. <laughs> so he had a little bit of those feelings. But they did not handle this well at all. Not at all, right? I didn't think so. I thought it was pretty absurd. I guess maybe back in World War II, men don't talk about their feelings they just crash plants <laughs> yeah so so this story is essentially the story of of ray fines falling in love with colin firth's wife and she goes back and forth from like africa you know saying that she feels like she's a different man's wife and i i think that they were trying to say that ray fines like had a difficult time connecting but i had a difficult time connecting i mean they would show scenes of like dinner parties and christmas time with like the kids that were there in the area and all of these things that were happening, like day-to-day experiences throughout this time period, and I don't care at all. doesn't matter to me. I would say like two hours of this movie are just, just so boring. And unnecessary. So unbelievably boring. This movie needed to be edited down extremely. If it was an hour and a half, maybe we got something. You could tell this entire story in 45 minutes. Y- yeah, a TV show could have told this story. Right. And this movie brings up a lot of interesting questions. Not about what happens in the movie itself, but like the world at large around it. How did this movie win nine Academy Awards? Like, how did that happen? I feel like my experience with this movie is completely different than what the vast majority of film critics saw. It has to be. The way that they responded to this, and and when I went over trying to 
pick like the, the critical reception of this movie, every single review was like an artful masterpiece that tells the, I'm, I'm like, what? what? They were watching a different movie in that. Yeah, I, I wish I could have been in that time period. Like, I mean, I was alive then, but I was too young. I, w- I didn't become a movie guy until much later. By 96, I didn't give a damn about movies or anything, you know, Lost in Space hadn't come out. So I had a really <laughs> you blossomed. Just, you, you just didn't know yet. Yeah, I just didn't know what it was all about. Yeah, so this movie swept the Oscars, nine Academy Awards. That's incredible. That's a real achievement. And you think that for a movie to win that many awards, it had to be just like a powerhouse on all fronts, right? It won Best Movie. Yes. Which means that it beat Fargo for Best Movie. That's absurd. I've seen them both. Yeah. I I, I know which one I, I like Even Jerry more. Maguire was up there for Best Movie. I'd rather have that win over this. But one of our listeners sent me a message on Twitter the other day, and he wanted to know, why are critics such snobs? Like, why are film critics such snobby people that they don't want to have fun? They don't like good movies. All they like are these weird, arty things that no one else in the world would like. And I think The English Patient falls into that purview pretty well. It's very artistic and dramatic that the critics would eat up, but the common man would be like, this is almost something that I think would have been better suited to be portrayed on the stage. Oh, a play. Absolutely. So I have a theory as to why critics are the way they are. And tell me your opinion on this. See how you feel. I feel that uh, the reason film critics fall for movies like this or really artistic movies that no one's ever heard of or will ever see in their lifetime is because the average moviegoer likes the majority of the movies they see because they only see, what, like five movies a year? Even that's pushing it, right, for most people. Critics see like several movies a day. Yeah, like critics at the end of the year, they probably see like 200 movies or more. More than that. Yeah, so day after day, they have to go see movies. So movie after movie after movie. And just looking at us, we only see a movie a week. And just seeing 52 movies a year, the same patterns show up over and over and over. Oh, double crosses, flashbacks, text on the screen. Blah, blah, blah. You start to become jaded to it. The same crap over and over and over. It really wears on you, right? Absolutely. Can you imagine having to watch like a SWAT kind of movie all the time? That's pretty much what it's like to, to be a critic. Watch like crap nonstop. So when anything that's even remotely competent comes out, you latch onto it because crap movies are the norm. Right. Good movies are the exception to the rule. That's just a fact. I mean, I agree with you. And I think that we've, we've talked about this, like the critical response to these artistic movies is just the, it's the opposition to the the majority of the crap that's out there. And, and there is a lot of it. Yeah. 90, Nine, 90, 90 plus. Yeah. 90% of the movies that come out are probably three star movies at best. That's generous. Yeah, that's being generous, right? At best, it's a three star. Everything else is is just mediocre crap. And as a critic, they have to see that every single day, week after week, year after year. I can't even imagine how Siskel and Ebert did it for 20 years, having to see such crap all the time, which explains why when a movie like this that has these sweeping visuals and romantic story competently made would really appeal to them. Not only that, I think when when you start to watch so many movies and you start to critique anything, whether you want to or not, your your thought process goes into how was this made? And then when they were making it, what was going through their mind? What what were the decision making processes that they were doing when they chose to show this shot like this or chose to write this character like that? And you start to, whether you want to or not, put yourself in that position. Would you have made that same choice? Could you have done better? Maybe, Should you? Probably and, not. If, and then how could it have been done better? Like if I had made this movie, it, it would have been a boss of the wall, Michael Bay-esque love story. <laughs> and <laughs> it would not have won the Academy Award. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha! 
Yeah, but we might have enjoyed watching it. Yeah, people would have had a damn good time. Say what you will about Michael Bay, but people genuinely enjoy watching his movies. Yeah. You could say that about that, right? But this movie that won all the Academy Awards, I did not enjoy at all. It was tough to watch this movie. It was difficult. It was a chore. Yeah, I was trying to see, like, what was worse? Like, watching this or Buckaroo Banzai or Gothic? Like, which were as harder to sit through? This was harder than Buckaroo Banzai. Buckaroo Banzai had stuff happening in it. Yeah, I mean, Buckaroo Banzai... Plus, was Peter doing Weller. weird things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was doing weird stuff. So it made you like, I don't know, like there's something about Buckaroo Banzai that made you want to watch it and to make you want to figure it out and make you want to understand it. At least for me, this movie, I wanted to dismiss it outright because I just hated it. And maybe it's Oscar backlash. That's part of it. Like if this movie did not win all these Academy Awards, would I have given a damn? We wouldn't even be talking about this right now. Because nobody would have suggested that we even watch it. It yeah. wouldn't have even been on the radar. And this isn't something that we're just coming out of thin air with. I mean, like the sponsor said, there was an entire Seinfeld episode about this. I remember Elaine couldn't stay awake in the movie theater. Yeah, and her boss forced her to go see it. She actually got fired. She got fired because she hated it. She was the only person in the world that hated the English patient. (laughs) I rewatched like some of the clips of it and I was like, wow, she's right. Elaine was right. Like this movie is boring as hell. And as a kid seeing that, I think that they were trying to portray Elaine as being like a uncultured uncultured swine, like like a boar. But she was right. She was totally correct. So I remember her screaming like in the movie theater, I thought you were dying. Die already. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ray Fine's character just died. Like I really stuck with this movie. I wanted to like it. Like I went into it being like, all right, Academy Award winner. Let's do it. But no, not at all. This has got to be one of the worst movies to win the Academy Award ever. Ever. Yeah, I agree with you. You know what? I think that there are probably certain critics that when they describe what they like about the movie and what they enjoy about the movie and why the movie is good and why and what its merits are. Other critics that want to be perceived as good critics Oh yeah, yes. Jump on the bandwagon it's the Emperor's New Clothes scenario. They're like, oh of course it's artistic and beautiful and great. Yeah, but you forgot that nobody cares about the movie and the story is poorly written. You know, I could see that happening too. You're right. Like They don't want to be seen as like a buffoon. Like that guy Armand White who right, always goes against the grain. Their credibility will be in question if they go against this movie. He didn't like the English patient. He doesn't understand true art cinema. Yeah, so then, and at the same time, like, that's a critic's job. He or she gets paid to do that. So to go against a movie like this that has these things that are from a film school perspective. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very good and, like, really well done would would take you into a situation where it calls into question all your other reviews. You know, that kind of stuff, that film school mentality, I guess, where they, they laud and applaud these sort of things. It's like communism. It works great on paper. But it, but in the real world. It just doesn't work. Or maybe, you know what? It can work. It does work. But the way they did it here, the pieces didn't come together. It didn't come together because it neglected the most important aspect of the movie. The human element? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it really did. It, it neglected the human element. This is a mechanically... It really is. You're right. These, these are just like puzzle pieces. It's a mechanically... Like it's, it's almost like there's like, as far as like visual art is concerned, there's something that, that I look at when I'm looking at really well done art. And there's craft and then there's concept. What about craft macaroni and cheese? The blue box blues. <laughs> like something can have phenomenal craft. Like somebody could draw a picture or paint a painting that's like beautifully done and like looks full realistic and that's all well and good but at the same time like is the actual thing that they made interesting wow you sound like art school confidential yeah man you've come full circle <laughs> 
I started there. Now I'm back. So this movie also brings into question the concept of Oscar bait. That's something that gets tossed around a lot these days when the Academy Awards season comes around. Well, it's what? hard to pin down what that is, but you know it when you see it. So what's an Oscar bait movie? It needs to satisfy the majority of certain criteria. And I think that you have a better understanding of this than I do, but from what I understand, somebody in the movie needs to have some type of transformative appearance from like what the actor originally or normally looks like in their day-to-day life. So they either have to have tons of makeup on, they need to go through an, a, a change in their, their weight yes. or size for, yes. for, for the role, and they need to have some type of accent or change in the way that they are speaking. Yeah, that's one of the many elements. Like people say that through the years, if you look at all the things that win the Academy Awards or things that are nominated, actually, you can see a pattern. And there are certain kind of movies and certain elements in movies that the Academy just loves. So like what you just said, actors going through crazy transformations, either through makeup or physical. The Academy loves period pieces a lot. They love war big time. So so far, this movie's going on all cylinders. If you play an event that is based on a actual historical event. Yes. I mean, that's... And and if the actual character, like a historical figure... That's even better. If you can actually have a historical figure in there, they love that stuff. They also love people who are either mentally impaired or physically impaired. This movie's got the physical side down. So this movie is just ticking off all the cliches of what you need for an Oscar bait movie. So was this movie just tailor-made to win awards? They they built it like a machine in a lab just to... Are you saying that this... You're asking me if this was built in the government lab to to win Oscars? Oscar monster? I mean, this movie makes me feel like a buffoon for not seeing what's so good about it. Because everybody says it's incredible. Nine Academy Awards, blah, 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 blah. And I'm sitting here watching it. Have I seen too many Michael Bay movies? Has it destroyed my ability to watch high art? I don't know. What do you think? I don't think so. I mean, at the end of the story, you either identify with the characters and what they're going through, or you don't. You're either involved or you're not. Sorry, this isn't one of those jokey ha-ha episodes, but this movie did not allow for that. Just didn't demand it. I mean, maybe if they put Philip Seymour Hoffman in here. Oh, popping out of his genitals? (laughs) Yeah, popping his balls out of his... out of his gym shorts sitting in like a lawn chair I could have something to work with but no this, this movie just calls into question so many more things than just like you know ha 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 jokey stuff it's just bigger issues here but I don't want to leave it on, on a dour note do you have anything nice to say about this? it's beautiful this is a gorgeous looking movie I agree it was a beautifully shot movie remember the scenes with, with Willem Dafoe and the Nazis did you recognize that main Nazi guy? no <laughs> Martin that was none other than Jurgen Prognow that name sound familiar? yeah it does actually. He was the boat captain in House of the Dead. Oh, thank God. So he went from Academy Award winning <laughs> English patient to House of the Dead. I wanted to see that movie where Caravaggio is is a double agent. Yeah, the Willem Dafoe story, that could have been spun off into its own movie. That would have been great. I'll watch that movie. And there's one other thing in this movie that I want to applaud. There's a scene in it where a guy is defusing a bomb. It has nothing to do with anything in this story at all. And it's, ri- it's riveting. It is edge of your seat exciting stuff. We were both uh, speechless. We were watching. We were like, oh my God. It was literally like this came out of another movie. It felt like it walked on set from some other (laughs) more exciting movie. Some other more exciting, interesting movie. That I would prefer to have watched. And then it, as quickly as it came, it disappeared. Would you have preferred to have followed him around while he yes. went around defusing bombs. giant bombs? Yeah, Hurt Locker in World War II. That would have been the best. But that's it. Uh, aside from that, we get this humdrum love story that I just don't care about. With these characters I don't care about. In this place. And it, it's just not exciting or entertaining or riveting. I can't connect to anything. This movie is terrible. Terrible, I think. Yeah. Just, just for that, on that level. I mean, it's really 
competently made. It's a great tech demo of how to make a movie, but that's it. I hated everything else about it. Yeah, agreed. This movie... It's almost like a big special effects movie that you hate because it looks cool, but there's no story there. It's just like that, but but in this, the special effects are like cinematography. I'm going to say this about this movie. I don't connect with any of the characters. They're not interesting. And the person that at the end of the movie, they're trying to make him out like he's a identifiable, tragic character. He's a terrible person. I am happy he dies. Yeah, I felt nothing. There's no... I don't care at all. I I, I mean, I'm... What he got getting burned alive like that... He deserved. He absolutely deserved every second of that. And the nurse should have been like, after listening to his story, you're a a monster. You deserve to suffer till you die. I'm not going to help you. (laughs) She just leaves him. (laughs) Just leaves him there. I mean, I want to say that I don't really understand the story or understand why these people did what they did. It, It made no sense to me because they were like robots. I mean, the movie looks really good and the acting is really good. The sound is great and it's beautiful, but there's no interesting story. It is a terrible, terribly boring movie. Okay, there you have <laughs> a terribly, terribly boring movie. It's on the back of a box. Winner of Academy Awards. <laughs> okay, let's find out what the real critics have to say about this movie. Overlong and stifling high-class desert war story that mixes a tearjerker romance with a beguiling mystery story. Dennis Schwartz owes this world movie reviews. A respectable, intelligent, but less than stirring adaptation of an imposingly dense and layered novel. Todd McCarthy variety. And finally, yes, it's beautifully shot, well-acted, and rich with history lessons. But how can we cheer for heroes who sell out their friends and nation for an extramarital affair? Jeffrey Overstreet looking closer. Okay, Martin, this movie currently has an 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. Is it really that good? Absolutely not. This movie's horrible. I mean, you were in the room with me. Didn't you listen to my review? <laughs> no, I forgot it. This movie's terrible. It's it's a disaster. I would have rather have gotten shot in the face with projectile diarrhea than watch this movie. It was that bad. I'm giving it a solid, solid, super rock hard one out of five. It was, te- oh God, it was bad. There's no story. It looks good. No story. As for me, is it really that good? No, this is not that good. I can honestly say I would rather watch any of the Twilight films over this. Any of them. Even New Moon was better than this. And that's insane to say. Insane. It won nine Academy Awards, Joel. Even Best Picture. This movie was unwatchable. It's so deadly boring. I know we're going to come off like uncultured swine here, but that's, I can't help the way I feel. Uh, I know it's wrong, but I can't stop. I can't stop feeling it. Yeah, this movie was terrible. I was initially going to give this a two just based on like the way it looked, but seeing it twice and thinking about it after all this time, I'm going to give this a hard, hard one. Because when we watched it that night, the first time, we just couldn't record it. When it was over, we were like empty shells. There was no way we could have recorded this at all. It was ghost in a shell all over again. Yeah, we were... (laughs) Yeah, so we couldn't have handled it. So we had to record at a later date and having had that time to reflect, my estimation of this movie dropped even more. Like, this movie is terrible, terrible, terrible. I wouldn't recommend this to anyone. The only people I would recommend this movie to is like someone in film school who wants to be a cinematographer. That's it. You could take notes on this movie, like pause it and start writing, but it's not, it's not something that, that you would watch for enjoyment. Oh man, I feel so bad for the guy that made this movie because, because I mean, <laughs> I'm just, just like the way I'm talking about it, I'm like, yeah, you could take notes on the cinematography, but you would never watch it for enjoyment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's read some listener mail. What a world we live in where a movie, where we could, we could watch a movie like Showgirls or Catwoman or something that, and, and give that three stars. <laughs> 
<laughs> but the nine Academy Award winner, we give hard ones to. Okay, Will writes in. He has some questions for us. In older episodes, you each occasionally named movies in passing that you didn't enjoy, yet when it came up later for review, it would get a higher score based on a second viewing, like The Human Centipede. So my question is, out of every movie you reviewed that got a low score, is there any you think of that maybe would grow on you over time? I think uh, Rocky Horror, for me, would go up. Uh, since we've reviewed that, I really have grown to love the soundtrack of the movie. That alone would help bump it up. I was listening to it at work on Friday, actually, the soundtrack. The soundtrack? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I even went to see the movie in New York, like, a couple months ago. Like, I, I did the whole Rocky Horror experience after reviewing the movie. Maybe in an After Dark or talk about that. I don't know. But what else? What other movies do you think? <laughs> I mean, every time, I'm, and, and, and this goes without saying, every time I watch Point Break, that movie gets better and better. It's like a fine wine. It just, it's, it's, it's a treasure. It really is a national treasure. Okay, next. If editing the show is such a pain, do you think you could give in and make the show longer instead of making tough decisions on what to cut and just let Martin run wild? I don't think so. I mean, the majority of the stuff that gets cut out is pretty ridiculous. Yeah, it's like... Uh, no one would really want to listen to it. Be careful what you wish for. It's one of those uh, genie monkey paw wishes thing where you like, oh, make the episode longer. And then when you get it, you're, you're, like, you're like, oh, I wish you didn't make the episode longer. Yeah, it's horrible. It's terrible. Like, I cut the crap out for a reason. So, just like the gamer episode <laughs> and all that stuff, you know, I keep telling you guys, <laughs> no one wants to listen to me. No, I don't think I'd ever make the show longer. No, it, it, it doesn't would, need to the, be. the final product, it would, it would completely hurt the final product. It would be unlistenable. One of the things I like about the podcast is that we get in and we get out quick. Hopefully, we don't waste your time. Yeah, we're, we're like the SEAL Team 6 movies. Now, Next, when will Simply Quaid make his triumphant return? Do we have a Quaid movie coming up? Oh, I don't know. Once we're finished with the sponsored episodes, then... We have free range. Yeah, Quaid will roam free yet again. Favorite movie featuring the People's Champ? That's a good question. Get Shorty. Oh, okay. Uh, I liked uh, either The Rundown or Walking Tall. I-, I forget which is which. I think it was The Rundown. That was really good. Favorite chick flick? Don't lie. Hmm. Is Vanilla Sky a chick flick? No. <laughs> it's got a love story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, followed by Love Actually and Down With Love. Did you like The Notebook? No, I did not like The Notebook. Really? Mm-mm. It's a bad movie. What about Dear John? Yeah, that's awesome. What about you? Mm. I don't watch chick flicks. I'm too much of a man. No, I'm not. I do watch chick flicks. I'm trying to figure out which one I like the best. I mean, chick, chick flicks are like action movies. There's some that are really good and there's some that are just abysmal. Hmm. I thought My Girl was good, actually, to be honest with you. And finally, would you ever consider reviewing Robin's Reckoning just for the hell of it? What? could I say about something that's perfect? Okay, Jarrett writes in and says, I've noticed lately that you've looked at some fresh movies from Rotten Tomatoes. I'm wondering why you guys are doing so many good movies and are you going to do another podcast? When we opened up the sponsored episodes, we gave people free reign to pick whatever they wanted and a lot of people picked fresh movies. Okay, Martin, we got a bevy of responses here about the Starship Troopers episode. A lot of people think that we missed the subtlety of the political satire in the movie. So you have something to say about this. I do. Just as like a blanket statement about the political satire, satire aspect of this movie if it's so nuanced but that was the the purpose of making the movie was to make a really like self-aware political satire it really missed the mark because everybody that was in the room watching it that night missed it and we're not foolish people it wasn't i guess not overt but it wasn't pronounced enough for for anybody to really pick up on it because there especially like the propaganda commercial aspects to it that was the best part of the movie by 
far. And that was interesting. And I understood that that was being, I guess, satire. But other than that, the actual acting and the actual movie itself, I didn't see it. Yeah, no, like it's so subtle that it went over our heads, I guess you could say. But a lot of people were writing in talking about how this movie is an allegory for the Vietnam War and all these things like that. And my philosophy here is movies like this, where people say there's more beneath the surface and you need to dig deeper and see what's really there. My argument for stuff like this is that for me to want to dig deeper, what's on the surface has to be good, period. It has to be good. Like The Matrix is a perfect example. On the surface, it's just a cool sci-fi movie with people fighting and martial arts and stuff like that. But under the surface, that movie is talking about individuality, free will, all these big concepts, right? Truth and reality. What what is real? Yeah, what's real? And that's all there. It's not like, oh, it's like you're making it up. Like, no, it's there. You can see it. But if you want to just take it on a surface level, you can. Your choice is there. It's a very layered film. And you choose to dig deeper because what's on the top layer, the fighting and stuff, is really fun and engaging and cool. The top layer of Starship Troopers is not engaging or cool. So who cares? I'm not going to waste my time thinking about Starship Troopers. They, they, they couldn't get the surface stuff right. So why do I care about the actual allegory to the content of the movie? I don't want to just toss this out there and say this about Starship Troopers stuff, but there's a thing called uh, apophenia, where the human mind is built to see patterns in randomness. We're hardwired for that. If I if you look at the moon, you're like, oh, look, there's a face in the moon, but there's really nothing there. And we see animals and shapes and clouds, even though there's nothing there. If the director primes you and says, I made this a Vietnam allegory, you're going to go looking for it and you'll see it. Just like Martin and I's favorite film of all time, the number 23. Oh, yeah. If someone tells you it's there, you're going to see it. Next up, Robert writes in with a quick comment about Pirates of the Caribbean. He says that when they talk about how Jack Sparrow was marooned on an island, they state he saved his only shot so he could kill the man who threw him off the ship. I find this hard to believe that the gun would be operational without changing the powder with ammunition after being fully submerged in water for five hours, twice. Miles, is this possible? Look at this. We have an email from a listener petitioning our firearms expert for advice. He should go out and he has he has the knowledge and know-how to be... Sounds to become a consultant. To be a, a firearms consultant. And you know, I think Miles actually answered that question in the National Treasure episode. He did. Or, or the, we, the day after, the, the episode right after National Treasure. We asked we, that question. Problem, he he yeah. said that it could be used. That it, it, it would still fire. Oh, I thought it was like going to be mushy. Uh, well, you're going to have to listen to find out. Oh, damn it. Okay, next up. Ryan writes in and says, I just wanted to write in regards to the Antichrist episode when you guys reviewed it and upon listening to the genital mutilation scene, I couldn't believe my eyes, even though you said it. <laughs> I was pretty disgusted and decided not to watch it. I viewed it as an art film that went for the artistic title by mere shock value, but later upon randomly wasting my time on the interwebs, I randomly ran across the Bible verse found in Deuteronomy 23.1 that reads, No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. I was shocked. I closed my eyes and opened my mind's eye <laughs> and remembered you guys discussing that scene from Antichrist. Could that scene have deeper, more interesting meanings than just random shock value? But what do I know? I'm just a Yankee doodle. <laughs> what do you think of this? I actually looked it up and he's right. There's tons of verses in the Bible that have that can be used and fit into anything, anywhere. People do that all the time. <laughs> 
<laughs> they do. Like Austin 316? Well, well, no, no. That actually was in the Bible. You're, you're right. Plus, he was doing God's work. What do you think of this? I don't think it has anything to do with the movie. <laughs> I, I really don't. But if it did, would I be shocked? No. Lars von Trier is a weird dude. Okay, next up. Tony writes in and says, Hey, guys, whatever happened to the bell that you extravagantly squandered all your hard-earned bison bucks on? Oh, it's here. We had to retire it because it just wasn't getting hot enough. But as the temperature rises this summer, it may come out of retirement. Okay, thanks for those emails, guys. If you want to contact us, you can reach us at yeahitsthatbad at gmail.com. Okay, now it's time to announce next week's movie. And Martin, we're getting closer and closer to the end of the sponsored episodes. Soon we'll be free men to roam free (laughs) in the fields and graze and chew our cud. Do you have a cud? Well, tune in next week when we'll be reviewing the Sylvester Stallone classic, Rocky IV. I'm excited for this. I give it a 5 out of 5. Already? You're preemptive 5 out of 5? Listen. This is going to be like night and day compared to what we just saw. A true inspirational, exciting film. Why didn't the Academy Award Oscars to this movie? They're blind. What about Pauly's robot? They're just... Oh my god! (laughs) Uncle Pauly's robot! Uh, I can't wait to see that robot again. I love this movie. I love it. I can't. Oh, oops. Perhaps we should be giving away a review. <laughs> I'm pretty sure everybody knows what our review is going to be already. I, I can't wait to review it. Tune in next week when we'll be watching Rocky Four. Okay, thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you've heard, please consider subscribing. We'll have a new episode every Tuesday. Please help spread the word of the show to all your friends by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash yeah, it's that bad. You can follow the show on Twitter at yeah, it's bad. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes. Those five-star reviews really do help out the show. Oh yeah, you can follow Martin on Twitter at yeah, it's Martin. You can follow Kevin at Yeah It's Kev and you can listen to the show and all your mobile devices via Stitcher you can get that at Stitcher.com don't forget to get our latest premium podcast at yeahitsthatbad.bandcamp.com and you can listen to all the older episodes at yeahitsthatbad.com okay thanks for listening to the show see you next time Is it really that good? And what that boils down to is that we look at movies that are fresh on Rotten Tomatoes and reevaluate them. <laughs>